This is Behind the DM Screen. It is May 2020. We are three DMs helping each other out, talking about our games. And I didn't say any of that in the right order, but that's okay because this is Behind the DM Screen right. and I don't write a script. So <laughs> uh, I am Jeff Greiner, uh, your usual Tome Show host, but also with us is Sam Dillon. Say, say hi, Sam. So hi, Sai. Hi, yeah, Sam. I am not wording well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Also with us is Mike Shea. Say hi, Mike. Hello. All right. And that's it. That's the introduction. That's all you get. Uh, We are putting 15 minutes on the clock, so each of us has a chance to talk about our games. And Sam, you're up first. So whenever whenever you'd like to start, tell us what you're playing. Well, so uh, unfortunately, you know, the um, the, the COVID issues the pandemic issues right now have have put the kibosh on my face-to-face game and uh we we are thinking of maybe going uh virtu- virtual with that one during the summer um but right now you know this this is my group with the young players so they're all still in high school too and so uh since they don't already know how to use roll 20 or fantasy grounds or mm-hmm. discord or anything like that uh and and Generally, their their parents do not let them have accounts like that sort of thing. Um, so we don't have that set up right now. So we are not. I'm not playing my face to face game right now, which sucks. Uh, but um, I am still playing my D and D brief game, and uh, that's a lot of fun. But I think I already said where we were last time we recorded. Did I say that? Because <laughs> uh, I mentioned, oh no, you know what? I know when, when I talked about it was on the D and D fitness uh, podcast. Oh. I, I I mentioned it, right? Um, so I will tell you what's up with that. Um, so that game is going really well. Uh, it had a couple of curveballs. What's happening is it's it's sort of winding up, um, and and we're getting to where they're the clues are all falling into place, and they're finally asking the right questions of the right people or in some cases the right um sentient artifacts and and they're learning all sorts of things and what they just what they just sort of discovered was um whatever happened to make the plateau have the issue that it's having where it's where it's sinking underwater uh that is a real problem because the plateau is a flat plateau and there's borders on all four sides and what they've discovered is the reason that their maps are incorrect is that the plateau is expanding. And so the islands in the plateau are being pushed apart, which sounds like it's not a big deal. If it was a globe, they would just go around and they'd crash into each other on the other side, make some mountain ranges and a you know big continent, except there's barriers on each edge of the planet. So depending on which direction you're moving – Eventually, you are going to run into one of the barriers. Either you're going to fall off a giant waterfall, or you're going to hit a huge set of cliffs, or you're going to go through a veil of acid streaming down from the height of – they can't even see the top of it, right? It's basically a giant acid waterfall. Or you're going to get stuck in an area called the doldrums where the water moves so slowly everything stops, um, except oftentimes whirlpools – form in the middle of some of those areas which means the islands will get sucked into the waterfalls or, or to is, the world is this your own world or is this a default this is, yeah no this is my own setting it's cool he, um, he's, ta- so, he's talked about the the whole plateau plane yeah. thing mm-hmm. before, yeah so. yeah yeah i didn't know the barriers yeah, that yeah was, that's so, new information to me too <laughs> yeah so i mentioned it in the first i mean so the the players got sort of a like a world document and I mentioned it like in the first episode, but it never really came up before because they didn't do anything to get close to one of the barriers. So they never really they haven't seen these barriers. It was sort of rumor up until then, um, until they got some information the last couple of sessions. And they're starting to realize, oh, well, if our maps aren't correct, that must mean that things are moving. And well, oh, wait, things are moving. Things are moving. Because the problem is that what they've also learned is that 
reversing the sinking, that event that, that caused everything to sink, reversing that might have worse consequences than they think. Because you're not just like, you know, going back in time and making it not happen. You're actually stopping it from its current trajectory and turning it backwards and making the reverse occur. Well, what do you have if you had, if you've had uh, land covered with water for 50 years and now you're going to take all that water and put it somewhere? That might not be the best, right? So they don't really know what's happening. They don't really know what's happening, uh, but they know that there are some big consequences. But now, now they've got another consequence to think about, which is, well, if, it, if the world actually is expanding, but the barriers are not expanding, that means that everything in the world that's expanding out is going to eventually hit a barrier. And so uh, they, they recently learned about um, – they found this artifact called the Book of Proofs, and they've learned now who, who wrote the Book of Proofs, and that has pointed them in the direction of seeking out a particular arcane scholar. And so that's, that's kind of where we are. Um, and uh, and the, as I, I think this is what I mentioned on the, on, the, on the fitness podcast was the duel never happened because what they figured out was – uh, Sharkface, the pirate who who proposed the duel, who 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 actually challenged the the Lutrinian cap, uh, the Lutrinian royalty, um, is defecting from the pirate ship. He's he's defecting from the pirate fleet because he he was human and he went through a transformation to make him into a were shark and it worked. And his transformation did not destroy him. And now he's getting better and better at controlling it. So he can control what form that he takes. He doesn't just get, you know, he, do, he doesn't just uh, suddenly spontaneously transform as if he can't control it. He actually can control it. And his brother was going through a similar transformation process, but it didn't turn out as well. And he started dying. And that's also what happened to a lot of this, this guy's crew. And so he decided, screw this. I'm going to defect. I'm going to get away from the pirate fleet because the pirate fleet is who sort of wrangled us all into this and tried to make us, you know, go through these transformations so that we could get all this power and follow Laralac, the, the main villain guy. And uh, so he was defecting and the, what he thought he was trying to rescue his brother. And he thought if he challenged the Lutrinian to a duel and retrieved the Royal sword, that he could then trade that for his brother. That was his whole plan. But then uh, what happened was as they, they discovered that he was um, trying to defect because his, his second in command who was negotiating the terms of the duel basically told the truth and told the party what was happening. Uh, and then they all got attacked. They got attacked by a bunch of storm wyverns and, uh, and a bunch of uh, deep scions, and there was a huge battle. And that's that's basically the roundup of of where we are. Um, the ca- <laughs> the campaign is so much fun, but um, I'm it, it's 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 winding up, and I have figured out that one of the things that occurs, and this is this is kind of what I wanted to sort of talk about because I think it might be interesting to the audience because everybody's moving more virtual nowadays. But one of the things that occurred is because I'm streaming um, and I'm, and I'm streaming for the purposes of turning it into a podcast. So I don't want to go image heavy on it because you can't say on a podcast, Hey, look at this image. Uh, I mean, I, I do that a couple of times in some of the episodes when there's a map and then I, attach it to the show notes so somebody could go and look at it if they want. But, um, but ultimately I can't, I can't really do that. Right. Like you can't, that would be a really boring podcast. Hey, look at this. Let's point over there. Hey, you know, that's just not how it works. So, so I don't use a lot of images, but what that's done is it's made this campaign such that there just aren't that many battles. So even though I do theater, the mind, uh, the first couple of battles that we had in, in this campaign, now we've had, I think, uh, like 19 or 20 sessions, 19 or 23 hour sessions been going on for almost a year now. Um, But they, uh, the first couple of battles, it was really like everybody had a hard time wrapping their head around the theater of the mind thing without a lot of maps and all that. But by the time we got to this battle on the ship with the storm wyverns and the deep scions and, and the crew on the ship, plus shark face, the, the pirate. And so it was this huge battle, but, 
I had learned how to better represent the positions of everyone so that my players could more easily follow along. But then we talked about it afterwards and um, basically it, it came out that it's really interesting because we're just a not very combat heavy game. And so that's something that I, I think I, I, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that sort of evolution to happen. And I, I didn't set out and plan that. It's just that that's what happened. And I don't know if it's just because of the style that I run the game in, or if it's the players or some confluence of the, those things put together, or if it's because I'm doing it for a podcast and I'm trying to not rely on images at all and rather describe imagery, you know? So, so I guess, I, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Do they, do they mind? No, they're loving it. They, so when they, when they had the conversation about combat, was, did they lament not having as much combat as they would like? No, I don't they're, think they're so. Good with it. Yeah, sounds, sounds like it's not a problem. And I and I can tell you as a listener, um, mm-hmm. I the only reason I I have noted that it's not a very combat heavy campaign is because you've pointed it out a few times. If you hadn't said anything, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have occurred to me that that was what was going on. Okay. I think that uh, one thing that sort of dawned on me now, running a lot of theater of the mind, um, because I mostly, I, I mean, I'm. Have to is a little extreme, but the, the the style of online play that I've chosen, the tools I've chosen for online play mean that there's no real way for me to do gridded tactical combat. Um, I've noted and, and I remember uh, in my in my um, talking to Lauren Urban from Dini Beyond uh, about it. And she had did a show with Todd Kendrick where she talked about it. That like theater of the mind, the battles that do best in theater of the mind are simple ones. Right. They they work really well when it's two ogres versus the party in mm-hmm. a in a, you know, in an area with maybe a, a feature in it that you could represent. Right. <laughs> and positioning doesn't matter too much. And there aren't really any, you know, terrain tactics. Mm-hmm. It works well. And I know that I lean more towards those kinds of confrontations now in my own game because i know they'll be easier for me to describe which i think has the side effect of being not particularly interesting mm-hmm. which means it's okay that we don't have as many of them <laughs> so i right. think there's this like yeah. kind of cycle about um about the style and and uh yeah so i think i I've, i think i've come to a similar um over the last few years i think i've come to a position in in my own just style of play where I, as the DM, like I just really enjoy the role playing and exploration pieces a lot more than I do the combat piece. So if they try a non-combat way to resolve something, I usually try to make it feasible, like because that's more interesting <laughs> to me, you know. Right. Um, so if we yeah. did very little combats, that would be fine with me. That said, I know my players like it, and I think. Um, Particular players really like it and and have really enjoyed the fact that we've been, since we've been online, we're playing through Roll Twenty, mm-hmm. and that means they have a map for every combat. Whereas before it was like fifty fifty theater of the mind or or mapped. So, I uh, yeah. So I ran a poll asking people, and I ran it twice: once in twenty seventeen and once in twenty eighteen. And the one in twenty eighteen got. 2,100 responses about which of the three pillars people enjoy and combat was the least liked mm. of the three pillars. It was yeah. 60% 60% preferred role-playing, 23% exploration, and 18% combat. But those so people who I like the combat really like it. So They do, right. right. And I think, so I, I mean, you know, I think that, so like for my party, I think there's one, I think there's one guy who would prefer a little bit more combat, but I think he's also okay with, with the game the way it is because he's having fun. Um, but the other thing that I do is I'm really, really, um, flexible with how they, like if they build a character, if they level up and they pick something and then it just doesn't get used as much as what they thought or, or it doesn't, it doesn't fit their character concept as well as what they thought. I just let them change it. It's not a big deal. Like, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, Oh, you wanted that instead? No big deal. Like, I Mm -hmm. don't care about that. So, um, so that's one thing I think that sort of alleviates that pressure of, you know, if if you have a PC in the party that is built for 
basically optimized combat and only optimized combat and they're not really good at anything else and they yeah. don't want to be yeah you might have a problem but yeah my, my characters my players didn't do that so i right. think it's probably okay i've i've seemed to manage to filter those people out of my games <laughs> <laughs> right like in the yeah. in the four groups i have going now uh none of none of them there are definitely people who have combat things that they like they like combat but they're also really good they have back backgrounds and understanding of their characters and they have lots to do in lots of different scenes mm-hmm. so there's, there's people who certainly i don't think anybody doesn't like combat but there's certainly um i don't have anybody who's focused on that like waiting for the scene to yeah. go to combat because yeah. they're bored so yeah. i i have some play i think i have like one and a half two players that uh prefer the combat pillar um and and that's not as heavy as they were expecting necessarily in the campaign, and it, it's become a bit of a thing. In fact, I'll talk about it on my turn. But um, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so so I think it's it's, it's it's also kind of funny because like what Mike just said about the combats tend he they tend to get boring, so then he doesn't do as much of them. Um, it's funny because I kind of have done the opposite. The past couple of combats they've had have been these big, sort of main event kind of combats like the ship with the wyverns and the deep scions and all that and a lot of stuff going on and it basically took almost the whole session because it was so complex and but it still went fast and smooth and it didn't seem like oh god it's dragging on forever you know um and the one before that also the first time they met Lairlac was the similar way where it was the set piece scene but what happens is they stop and they role play like in the middle with oh well what does it look like over here? You know, because they're now so used to interacting with the world that way that it just becomes a natural part of the combat as well. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. I kind of agree. Yeah. If I think if I had a, if I felt like I had to have at least one combat every session, it would just be a bunch of really quick, boring ones Mm -hmm. that would feel meaningless. Right. But because I don't, because I have them very much fewer times than I, otherwise would maybe at at a table look when my face-to-face game my players love combat because it's very concrete here are the rules here's what you have to do the role playing is a lot harder for them but i think that's more of an effect of them being new to D &D and being very young players right um so that's that's kind of a different thing but yeah so anyway sorry jeff i didn't mean to cut you off You're fine. And and for the record, I for whatever reason, rather than using the timer, I use the stopwatch. But that's why the alarm hasn't gone off. You're at oh, <laughs> you're at you're at eighteen minutes. So you know, oh, eighteen okay. minutes. We, we always go over. So I'm not you this know whatever. Outrageous. <laughs> coming from Mike. <laughs> now Mike's gonna de- Mike's gonna demand twenty minutes. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's it. I just wanted to mention that because I think it's one of the interesting things that's sort of fallen out of that. And and we talk about it a lot. I don't always – I switched to doing debrief episodes of one hour. So now we have like – we're still sort of figuring out our format. But uh, it's going to be like one hour with maybe 10 or 15 minutes of debrief on each episode now. But for, for about five episodes now, it's only going to be just one hour of game. And then it will be a big debrief at the end. But but we talk about this a lot because it turns out that right a lot of the rules in D&D are just focused on combat. And so when you don't do a lot of combat, it feels like there's a lot of stuff you're not experiencing. But yet it's that's kind of a false – that's a false – it's like a FOMO, right? It's the fear of missing out, but really you're not actually missing anything because you're still having fun. I, I don't know. Anyway, we can move yeah, GM, on. GM Scott, too, in our Twitch chat said that in, in their experience watching streams, it's more entertaining and interesting as a viewer to watch RP and exploration than it is to watch tactical combat. Yeah. I don't know if that's affecting it or not, but yeah. You know. I, I, I think that that's you know I don't I that don't watch too many too. streaming games, but uh, that holds up for yeah. me. I, I've, I listen to a yeah. decent number of them as podcasts, and it is not uncommon for you know if somebody's got a, a two-hour combat going on or whatever, which sometimes happens. Um, I, I start to lose interest real fast, and every now and then I'll even just fast forward to the end of the combat if mm-hmm. I know how it turns out. You know. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't watch Critical Role regularly, but I I will sometimes kind of just pop it open to see what's going on in there. And there was one where like clearly his characters are getting into the teens 
in their levels, I think. They're pretty high level. And he was running a battle and I could see like the shenanigans that the characters are pulling off. And I could see him getting like more and more exasperated at like topics. And I'm like, man, even Matt Mercer, right? Like <laughs> it's good to know that he's the like, oh, you know, with the stunning and the pocket prone and the backstab and the, you know. <laughs> So funny, all the weird little triggers that occur, even in fifth, even in fifth, which is way reduced to be still when you get into the teens, there's a lot of shenanigans. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, Sam, you're good. Uh, thank you. All right. Very good. So I will uh, just take a break real quick to let people know that if you want to support the show, there's a few ways you can do it. Uh, I want to recommend if you want to support the show directly, you can go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Um, that money goes directly to helping pay the bills and, and that kind of stuff that keeps the show going. Uh, and I want to thank people who do that, such as Merrick Blackman, Jill Sanders, hey, Leonard, Leonard Pelche, and Doug Palmer. At least one of those people are, are hang out in our uh, Tome Show Discord, which if you tweet at me at the Tome Show or email me, thetomeshow at gmail.com, I will send you the link for that and you can come and join us. It's your turn to talk. 15 minutes, Mike. Talk oh. about your game. <laughs> oh, uh, all right. So I am running. Well, I have. Yeah. So I am in Sam's category of lots more D&D than I was having when I when when we weren't all at home. Uh, so I now have four regular, regular-ish games going on, two that are weekly and uh, two that are basically every two or three Saturdays of the month. Um, and so I'm running two Eberron games, one Avernus game, and one Midgard game. Uh, but I'm going to talk about the Eberron games because uh, they're the ones where I need the most help and uh, I am running them the most often. So that is uh, these are Eberron homebrew, homebrew games. Uh, the characters are in Sharn. Uh, the general theme of the game is that some number of factions are trying to build or acquire a weapon similar to the one that caused the mourning, the, 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 the destruction of the entire you know, not a continent, but an entire country, essentially, of sire. And uh, so there's lots of intrigue. I'm trying to do all of the all of the Eberron things that one should do. I'm using a pulp narrative. I'm using a you know, lot of, uh, you know, I'm stealing a lot of scenes from all the kinds of movies that that the game is built on. Are they, had are they fighting party. on swinging platforms over lava and, and riding lightning yes. rails? No, they were they they did fight gnolls that rode in on uh, floating disc surfboards okay. being carried by a manticore. Okay. That was pretty pulp. Yeah. Um, they <laughs> are, they, they're going like to the highest peaks. They had a dinner party for a gold ring member of the Orem, who's like this, this big society of influence, influential people. And then that got jumped by, by Knowles. Uh, the Knowles all work for a monstrous criminal organization known as the Dask. And now they're involved with the Dask. Uh, they broke into an old ruined temple in order to acquire a book called the Tome of Making, which is one of the primers that the uh, House Kenneth used to start making their artifacts and their warforged and stuff like that. And uh, so there's a lot of intrigue. And the, the, the hard part is like releasing enough of the information that the character that the players are still know they're going somewhere and but not so much that it's like getting right to the end. And I'm leaving a lot of blanks on purpose. So, like, I don't know what the weapon actually is. I kind of have some ideas, but I have more than one idea. And I don't know what it is they're doing. But I also, like, the problem was when that wasn't concrete, then a lot of the MacGuffins and a lot of the other sort of plot drivers aren't concrete either. So, which means I'm giving these, like, fuzzy-ass plot hooks that, like, the players are like, why are we at the dinner party? Like, you know, what do we want? Like find out something about this guy. Well, like what, you know? So it's been <laughs> harder to sort of narrow down and say like your job at this dinner party is to find where Lido Skull's secret vault is and get into it and see what he's got down there. Like something is, con you know, I didn't give that, but that should have been the drive that I was trying to do. So, um, they, they did go into the, you know, they, they had a fun, so they had a dinner party that when I ran it for two, two groups and it was kind of okay for both, but you know, I learned a lot about running dinner parties and, uh, then I, I, I'm like Knowles, right. I'm like, just hurl Knowles into the windows. And now the dinner party becomes something pretty interesting. 
And then they got into the vault and they hung out in Leto Skull's vault and there were doors that they couldn't get through. So they're like, we learned things about the vault. We know he's got something in there, um, but we couldn't get it. And then they got out and then they met with their patron and one character in one group's case, their patron is uh, a uh, uh, dragon marked house, the person who runs the finders guild. So it's perfect. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, I could have sent them on missions to grab anything. The other one is their uh, one, the uncle of one of the characters who's a dragon marked member of house Kenneth, who is worried that house Kenneth was responsible for the morning and wants to make sure it doesn't happen again. So he had a good sit down with the players that said, look, I'm an old man. I can't solve this, but I'm worried that we caused the morning. And I'm worried that if we're not careful, it could happen again. And I want, I don't, I want to stop that from happening. So then the, the players are like, yeah, we'll stop. We'll help you stop it from happening. So that was good. That kind of solidified things. So then, uh, the most recent one is like, they, they got out from the vault and I said, okay, you know, here are some options for you. Like here are different things you could do. You could go to tower six of Morgrave university. where supposedly down in the forbidden section. Uh, they are holding another tome called the tome of Colseer, which is like the reverse of the tome of making. It's a tome of dark magic that was captured. That was like captured and recorded from the giants of Zendrek. Uh, and we know it's down there. And we also know that other people want that one because there was a group that wanted the Tome of Making. So we want to get down there and get it before anybody else does. Uh, two, uh, we know that Leto Skull, who's this like sinister member of the Orem, uh, hired an expedition to go to Zendrek. And the ships that did the expedition came back, but like it was basically just left in dock and nobody actually came off of it. And People don't want to go near it, and there's like weird stuff going on in that ship. So you might want to investigate that ship and see if you can learn more about this expedition. Uh, or you, you. By the way, a member of da- House Dask, or not House Dask, the Dask uh, monster group, uh, they would like to meet with you. They, they are, you know, they know about what happened at, at the house, but they at, at the at the dinner party, but they have information that will be valuable to you, and you have information that'll be valuable to them, and they want to meet with you down in the in the cogs. However getting down there is going to be hard. It's not like a, you know, you don't have a full invitation, just walk through the cogs. You're going to have to make your way to us. So you're kind of, you're and, kind of using the three, the three hooks method, right? Yeah. Throw three and things have, out and see where they go. Throw, throw, throw two or three. Yeah. I wanted to do that. I didn't want to railroad them down any one path. And so my, oh, and then, and I had some different sort of side quests for the different groups. So like one group, I had a player where I offhand, this is such a perfect thing. I offhand mentioned that, down in the fallen, which is like an area where there's a bunch of ruined temples. Uh, I mentioned, he said, there's there any other temples down here besides the one we're going to. And I said, yeah, there's one to the temple of Balinor that has like a big lion and a Panther statue outside, but there's no, the entrance looks like it's collapsed. And he's like, I am really interested in that. And I was like, okay. And so like, he would ask every NPC, like, do they know anything about the fallen temple of Balinor? <laughs> and I'm like, no, they don't. And he's like, does she know anything about the fallen temple? And so finally I said like, no, but she'll investigate it and get back to you. And then I came back and I'm like, well, I've got to do something with this because it's like a player grabbed onto a hook. Why would I not go with it? Right. This is what I write about. This is what I talk about all the time. Carrying player driven D&D. So I made a Temple of Balinor and I made like a little storyline. And then I and I threw it out as like, hey, there's all these hooks. Plus, by the way, we found a secret entrance to the Temple of Balinor. If you're interested in that. he's like, I want to do that. And now the other player's like, sure, let's go do that. Like we could take a break. So I'm like, all right. Temple Bale and Artists. And so I ran that on Sunday and that went really well. Like I was really worried that like it's for one player. No one else's cares. You know, it's a bunch of just dungeon crap. And then I was like, what if the Ele- what if the Emerald Claw is already in there and they're using it like as an undead node? They like twisted the magic of the temple to this like undead node so they can learn more about what the Emerald Claw is doing as part of this whole operation. So that worked out really well. And the player got a nice magic item that'll grow with him as he grows as a character. And so, so that worked out really well. Uh, my other group is going there. They decided to go to the docks and investigate this ship that came back. And then one of my players is like, oh, my God. Like he he I think even he said, sure, that's fine. And then like yesterday, he's like, didn't we play a whole campaign on boats? Like we just literally played <laughs> all of Saltmarsh. And now we're going back to a freaking boat. And I was like, oh, man. I can't make this boat like a normal boat. So I was like kind of going through the book. And again, I'm trying to like squeeze all I can out of Eberron, right? I'm like, what would make the boat Eberroni? And then I thought like, well, there's this whole thing about the quarry and the, and the plane of Dalcor, I think it's called Dalcor, which is the dream, the dream plane. 
And there's these creature called the Kuarni, Kuarni, Quarry, Quarry, I think they're called, that are like these dream monsters. And they had, so they got into a war with the giants of Zendrek. And the giants actually, the Kul uh, Seer, the leader of these arcane giants, pulled a moon down out of the world. This is folklore, but maybe some of it's true. And he destroyed them. And then later on, the, his own elven slaves uh, revolted against him. And he was going to do, he's going to bring all the moons down and destroy the elves. And that's when Oram, uh, Oron, a, another god, and the dragons of Arganesson came to Zendrak and wiped him out. So I was like, what if yeah, I kind of tied that lore in there that there's a Zendrek magic, but what if the Zendrek magic is actually built on quarry magic and it's weird dreamscape magic, right? And some of that, when they, when they brought this huge crystal, they brought a huge dragon shard from Zendrak back to Sharn. They, the characters know about this already and they know it was on that boat. But what if the, there was, and I always said like, there's a hand, there was like this weird hand inside the middle of this 2000 pound Eberron dragon shard. What if the hand was a quarry hand and the Zendrek giants were, were using it for power and, and some of their new magic came from the quarry that they had defeated and it bled out into the ship like radiation when they were hauling it over across the way. So when the characters go to the ship, they will start to basically get pulled into the dream world because it's manifested around this ship and they could start having these like really weird experiences. And then I thought like, what if I took Memento, the movie Memento <laughs> and there's another game, there's a computer game called, uh, uh, shucks. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it's about an investigation that a ship comes into shore and there's a murder investigation that you're trying to figure out everything that happened on the ship. And I was like, what if you tell the story in reverse order? So while they're on the ship, they're picking up clues, but every time they pick up a clue, they actually go to the scene and they're suddenly thrown in the middle of it. And, but they're all happening in reverse order. So the first scene is them coming on board as mercenaries hired by, uh, Lido skull to bring the crystal off. And they're immediately attacked by like ghouls and undead that are on the ship. And then they defeat that. And then they kind of come back to the ship and they go a little bit further. And then they hear about how the crew started to eat themselves while they were coming across the sea that the, the, the crystal was manifesting and it was coming across the sea. And then it's their expedition into Zendrek and it's their recovering the crystal from the ziggurat where it was. And they can actually see those scenes firsthand and have encounters firsthand in all of those places as their own characters who got pulled into this like dreamscape version of what happened each time they're learning more about what this expedition was like and the thing that actually got pulled out um so that's that's what i think i'm going to be running that's tomorrow i, I don't think i've talked about it here but i did talk about it on a recent review episode where we did a, a bunch of pdfs uh and i talked about something that i'm bringing into curse of strahd called the interactive tome of strahd from dm's guild and it's a similar idea where you don't just get a, a handout and here's a, a single page sort of background of Strahd. Instead, as you decipher each chapter, it then magically draws you into a scene in the past and you live through as characters in, in moments of the life of Strahd. And it sort of sounds like what you're talking about, except it doesn't go backwards. But, yeah. you know, you're doing yeah, these so little I kinda, vignettes. I, I need to figure out like how to have I, – I, I don't know if I can either have it go backwards or I'm going to like drop – you know, a, a dozen or so clues onto this boat, like objects, you know, like a thing. And then when they interact with the thing, that's what draws them into that scene. And they can maybe even give them the option of like, which sort of scene, you know, maybe the, the thing gives them enough of a clue that they say like, yeah, this is one we want to do. And then they get a choice of essentially like four scenes to play out, you know, that they know will draw them in. And I love this in, in my, in my head, I have this vision that they go onto the ship and the minute they like go up on deck, they're like the ship is sitting in the middle of this wasteland dreamscape where the sky is roaring overhead and like towers are crumbling all around them. And like, you know, other ones are getting built up like like freaking um, Inception, you know, like the world around them is just like a giant sandcastle that's getting torn up and built down and that they can see like. Uh, what are those called? The sorrow sworn, the the sorrow sworn from shadow from the shadow fell. They'll see those things like walking around the ground, right? These like beings who live in this world, and so they'll realize Love like, those, oh my god, where are those we? guys? Those guys are so creepy, and you can, they're creepy, and they're can, also like yeah, they're awesomely nasty to fight. Yeah, so you don't yeah. want to fight one of them because they're like CR eleven, 
you know, but maybe they'd fight one and maybe it's like, wow, that was really hard. Like, you know, we beat it, but it was really hard. And uh, so, yeah, there's, you know, you could have like all this, the dreamscape manifest and then they know they're here and their goal is we got to get out of here. But the only thing that can let them out is one of these quarry and it has to know that they're going to help it. Right. So I, I'm still playing with these ideas. I got to get them. You know, I got 20 hours to get it ready. Right. Um, well, and it sounds like that's really the the crux of where you're at is um, you're at a point now where you've got a lot of fuzzy things. And, and as a result, yeah. it means that like the players aren't real focused and it's probably time to start nailing those things down and figure out where you're going. And, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm playing both sides. I'm playing like I go back and forth. Like I know that I want them to go to the to the to the to the uh, Mornland. Right. And then I've got a bunch of things in the Mornland that I think would be cool. So like I think I, I you know, for one group, one of the players is a Warforged who is tied to the becoming God. Right. He's tied to this like the Warforged, new Warforged God. And I know I want to have like other Warforged that are like him that think that the that they can sort of build, build their own God inside the Mornland. And yet they're being attacked by the uh, the Lord of Blades, who thinks that that's, you know, the opposite of what he wants to do. And so I want to have this like good, the bad, and the ugly sort of or, or fistful of dollars sort of stuff of defend the town from, you know, the Lord. Of Blades. I guess that's more Seven Samurai. So I want to throw like that in there. Uh, I want to have uh, I, I really like the idea of a Warforged train that's insane which I'm stealing right out of Stephen King. And that train knows how to get to the place where the laboratory, where they built the, the weapon. And it's the only thing that can get you there. And it's crazy. And you have to deal with it. You know, so I have these like ideas for scenes I want to run, but I don't have any order to them. And I don't really have sort of ins and outs. They're just, I'm sort of encapsulating these adventure ideas, which I'm throwing in a box and then I'll sort of pull them out as we go. And I also want to remember and not not, you know, focus on the fact that, like, I don't have a campaign script and I don't have a campaign adventure that I'm running. I can really build this around the characters. Right. And I really want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm tying into the backgrounds of the characters and I'm giving them major. Like, they built themselves around the plot, Ebron, everything else. But I want to make sure that, like, I'm really drawing their stuff in, like you know, NPCs they meet or NPCs that are clearly right out of their background, you know. And I want to constantly reinforce that. And that's, that's, you know, it's tricky to do, even when the campaign is your own. Yeah. Although I would argue I've been doing that very heavily in my current uh, Dragon Heist into Curse of Strahd campaign as well. Uh, And I was, I have notes that I was going to mention some of the ways I've been doing that actually uh, just recently. Uh, But like, yeah, every, you know, I've got two ASMR characters and ASMR inherently have this like guardian angel sort of that gives them advice every now and then. Well, I've I've worked in that in in really intimate you, uh, ways. Stop the and, timer on this, right? Uh, your timer ran out a, a minute ago, so yeah. Oh well, this is negative time then. Right? I'm going backwards <laughs> in my own. I get when it, when I talk, you get more time. Uh, he's, re- he's reclaiming the time, like we're yeah. in the Senate or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reclaiming his time. <laughs> Sorry, continue talking about your game. No, no, go ahead. I, I said what no, I wanted I'm, to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting time. It's different for me because I'm running multiple campaigns that are completely homebrewed and, uh, uh, I like it, but it's also a struggle in a different way. Well, and I, it's interesting, uh, cause you said you've got four games going now and I'm used to you having two games going, um, that are more or less the same, but following their own paths, like your two Eberron games are right. Um, but you just said you're also doing a, a Midgard game and Midgard, a, Midgard and Avernus, yeah, and Avernus, yeah. Just and I'm cur- I'm curious to hear about those. Although I'm sure I'll hear plenty about your Avernus game because I'm gonna run it soon, and then you'll get to tell me all about what happened when you did it. So. Oh man, yeah. I'll, I'll give you the big hint, which is do your homework before you start. Oh yeah, the adventure needs work. Well. Um, I've got the big giant Beetle and Grimm uh, box w- that provides yeah. some extra things too. So, uh, start. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have ideas. Just, we'll look see. at Fall into Eltero. Fall into Eltero. Already or, got it. Uh, yeah, that's a great adventure. It's a great way to start. Yep, I've got that one. And, and, then, and then there's another one that that sort of brings them f- from Eltero to Baldur's Gate. And then yeah, I've all- yeah, that's an Adventures League. Well, 
yeah. one I think does that. And then I also picked um, up uh, yeah. the Helterel. So I've got a bunch of different mm-hmm. things to supplement those early. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. I found like the yeah. approach that I took really Im- immediately solved like a couple of major problems that the introduction of the adventure had. Yeah. You know, so, well, and, yeah, and I, and I originally, I mean, when we did our original review of it, uh, it was clear that like one of the f- places where there's a gap in the adventure is, is getting that initial hook. Like why do they necessarily yeah, care? Right. right? Uh, yeah. so I, I decided way back then, and I think it's still going to hold up that, um, I'm going to have every single one of my players be a hell rider or, descended descended from a hell rider or whatever and and that's it you're done connected to the hell riders and it works so well yeah and it works really well with fallen tarot Terrell because the hell riders are right there and right yeah that was such a stronger hook and it made it made the whole intro way easier yep so that was going to be my plan too so very good uh excellent yeah we're mostly talking about other stuff now anyway so (laughs) that's fine um, if people, uh, we, I mentioned before, if you want to support us, you can do so by, uh, joining us on Patreon. And in fact, while we've been sitting here talking, Scott Nagel has become a patron. So welcome to the, the Patreon, Scott. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give Mike credit for that. Cause he posted the link in the, in the chat room on the, on the Twitch. So I don't know if Scott's in the Twitch or not, but, <laughs> or if it's just coincidence, but um, you but, mean you mean Sam posted? Oh, Sam posted it. Oh, I gave the wrong person credit. Thank you. No, Sam. no, no. I, I I posted the Discord and Mike posted the picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Um. That, but one of the other ways you can support the show is by going shopping at Amazon and DMs Guild. Uh, if you go to thetomeshow.com, there are links to Amazon and DMs Guild there. Uh, and you can go shopping just like you always would and have the exact same experience, uh, but we get a little bit. I spread the Amazon uh, affiliate money out to um, all of the people who contribute to the show, including Sam and Mike, uh, and then the uh, DMs Guild stuff gets used to to buy PDF products that we then include in our, our mini-reviews when we get a chance to do PDF mini-reviews. Uh, and while we had this conversation... Uh, we've now had another patron join. So, uh, welcome Stephen Maloney. So, uh, also on board there. Excellent. Uh, so that makes it my turn. I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock for me. So, uh, I'm, I don't know that I'm in either of the category in terms of, of quarantine has led to more or less gaming, but we have kept our weekly game going nonstop without a single week missed. Uh, if anything, we maybe play a little bit longer because people don't have the, the time to drive home at the end of the night. So, you know, whereas we normally end at 1030, sometimes it's more like 11 lately and whatever. So it's not a huge gain. Uh, but and yet I feel like we got a ton done. Um, since the last time we've chatted, my group has run. Uh, uh, what is it? Gleam in the in the King's Eye from Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures. Uh, we also ran uh, Challenge of the Fang from Tales of the Old Margrave uh, and just finished that last Friday session and that transitioned us into uh, Curse of Strahd. So I've kind of hit three different adventures uh, since in the last month. Uh, Gleam in the, in the King's Eye went really well. I was using it as an opportunity to, to highlight, to give us some spotlight time to a character who didn't really feel very connected to the story. Um, in fairness, it was it was the character who it was the player who decided to change characters right after I gave their previous character like a massive hook to the story. And I'm like, well, if you're just going to abandon your characters whenever I give you a, a, a storyline reason for being here, um, I might be a little more hesitant to do that. But so he had actually contacted me, said, "Hey, I'd like to have more things to do outside of just combat." Uh, I'd like to have more connections, uh, and so I'm like, "Oh, this would be fine." Um, his his old uh, uncle, <clears throat> who was never much of a of a fighter type, um, was part of an adventuring group that was hired to go into the the what catacombs or whatever under the estate first, um, and none of them came out. So. Now you've got to go in and find your uncle. Also, by the way, um, these nobles. And I'm using the – I use the, the Van Thampers from Descent into Avernus as a cameo so that when they see him in the next campaign, they'll be, oh, I remember those people. Like, uh, and and uh, Duke Van Thamper sent the – I forget his name now um, – the oldest son, the one who's like the scrawny little one that has the puzzle box. Uh, 
but is not the heir. Like she passed him completely and went to the second one, the second oldest, to become the heir. And uh, so he's sort of the neglected one. She actually sent him down into the <coughs> into the catacombs with them to sort of prove himself. <coughs> um, and and it all went really well. The adventure played well. We did the whole thing. Uh, it was a nice like one session um, adventure, which which worked out just about perfect for everything we were doing. Um, the 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 one thing that got tricky is the one character that we were spotlighting. Um, was also prone to being really reckless. Like, if, like in a previous session, we had the the um, uh, what is Firewatch Island? What's that adventure? F- Tamarot's fate. Mike Mike had suggested it, right? Um, and so we ran. I ran yep. that. Yeah, I ran that. And and they were preparing for the invasion. They spent two hours preparing for the swarm, the horde of undead, to come that night. And then as soon as they did, this char- this char- this player's character just charged straight forward and destroyed all of that planning that they had done. Like suddenly the planning didn't mean anything because he just decided to charge head full steam ahead. He was very reckless. So he got to the room in Gleam in the King's Eye where there's an Aranese uh, trapped in a in a circle. Uh, and, and he's all, and, and you know, the Aaron, is all, you know, I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. What do you want? Just all you have to do is break this free and I'll get to go home and I'll, I won't bother anybody ever again. Ha ha ha. Right. Uh, and one of the characters, uh, is, uh, a tiefling who's actually from Dis, And she's like, yeah, no, if there's a devil offering to make you a deal, don't like ever do that. That's never a good idea. Right. I'm from Dis. I've been through this. It's never going to go turn out well for you. Uh, and everybody sort of agreed, and then this one character, um, who was the spotlight character for the adventure, decided, oh, no, I'm going to go ahead and break the circle. I made a deal. I'm going to go break the circle. And they tried to stop him at the last minute, and they actually attacked him to stop him. And I'm like, okay, well, they're just going to, like, knock him out or whatever so we can't do this thing, drag him along, finish the adventure, and drag him out and give him a scolding to, right? Uh, no, they knocked him to, to zero and then let him bleed out. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, so normally I'm not a big, like, I don't appreciate you know player versus player in in my campaigns um and i particularly don't like it when you actually kill the other player's character who was the spotlight character for the current adventure that you're in right yeah um so so it was a whole thing like and i spent the next week on our on our uh group discord channel like navigating all of that and it turns out like a lot of the other players have a problem with the style of play that that player has been using. Character aside, because there's been two characters in a row where that's been kind of problematic. Um, and I'm like, well, I wish like any of you had talked to me about it because I recognize those problems too. And I was trying to work with them on it. Like I was trying to tie him to the story so he didn't feel so reckless and, and so disconnected and, uh, and whatever. Um, so we made a new character for him, and he he took it all in stride. He's, he's like, "That's fine, no big deal." I I like making new characters, so we he I, he's like, "Oh, I'll just make a character. I want it to be a drow. I want it to be a sorcerer. That's all I really know." And I'm like, "Well, let's do a little more, right?" And so I worked with him, and we came up with a a, a fairly complex backstory um, uh, that is intimately connected to. Curse, Curse of Strahd and, and all the things that are going on, right? So he's a drow, but he's not really a drow. We just sort of reskinned drow and made it a dusk elf, which are the types of elves in Curse of Strahd, right? So instead of dusk elves being wood elves, they're actually drow now in my in my setting because it fit what he wanted to do, right? He was adamant he wanted to play a drow. Okay, we can make that work, right? Um, so it, Jeff, hold on. We yeah. have a couple questions from uh, the, the chat. Okay. So uh, uh, GM Scott 2 asks... How well do you know the players? And then Half Mist asks, "How do you handle the conflict between players when combat between the players or PCs?" Yeah. Happens? So, and, as, as uh, do you do you like make it a duel, or how did you actually run that official combat? So, um, I I don't know the players super well, but I mean I've been playing with them since last summer. That's how well I know them, right? Every week since last summer. Um, so decently well but it's not like we're all uh bosom buddies necessarily right um in terms of how i handled the combat like we were already in initiative order 
So we just went in initiative order. They took their – whoever wanted to take their action took their action. It wasn't like there was a, a particular challenge like, no, don't do this uh, or else we're going to fight to the death or whatever. It was a, uh, well, I keep moving to break the circle. Well, I blast him with my Eldritch Blast to try to stop him, uh, you know, uh, and that's more or less how it went down. Um, so the, the Warlock blasted him with the Eldritch Blast um, – the the other character didn't quite die and went ahead and broke the circle and then the bard came in and, and finished him off um, with another spell. In fact, I think he may have actually been killed uh, by a, like a vicious mockery or something, um, which is always the best way to die, to be mocked to death. Uh, so yeah, like, and, and I was prepared, like I had plans in place for where this character was going to go and what we were going to do with them to try to connect this player t- to it some more, and I talked to all each of the players individually through the, our Discord uh, the week afterwards, and we did a lot of sort of unpacking of what happened um, and all of that. And and I even so I've I've been doing this um, this opening question every session where I sort of ask a, a role playing based question, right? How did you feel about this, or what did you guys talk about during this time, or whatever kind of thing, right? And that's how they get inspiration at the beginning of every session. And I was like. And I sent a message to, to a group that was everybody except that one player. And I'm like, so how would you feel about like, hey, the opening question is, it's been a few days, you're all drinking late at night and you all had a few words to say, maybe some remorseful, maybe some angry, whatever about what went down with this character who died, right? And, and one of the players was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm personally not ready to have that conversation because I'm still kind of mad at the other player for, for even putting us in that position. <laughs> like he just refused to listen to any of the warnings of the, the rest of the players. Um, and so I'm like, OK, well, let's do another thing. right? Let's, let's instead make it about, hey, uh, this group of, of, of adventurers oftentimes describes them as their sort of chosen or second family. What is it about the group that, you know, so, so something a little more binding but uplifting as well uh, is the way I went. And I thought maybe that would help as, uh, as well. So, uh, but I think a lot of what I tried to come out from that is, okay, so you're going to make a new character. Let's lay down some ground rules because there are some things that your previous characters have done that have kind of bothered other people. Um, so let's let's address that and make sure that the new character is not going to be that way because it might come to a point where we got to start asking people to exit from the game. And um, I'm not super comfortable doing that because he was already in the game before I was. So <laughs> I joined this group that was already formed. So I feel weird kicking people out. So, uh, Mike, what did I did not the answer? People... <clears throat> no, I was just giving crap. <laughs> um, what did the two players, were both players in this group before you got there? All of, the, all of the players were in this group before I got there except two. And and both and of the, – these the two, two that were involved were both there before me. OK. So the, the two people that killed the, – where they, where they got into PvP yeah. were and both in this group before. before Have they me. done something like this before? I don't – not so, – so as I was talking to other people uh, – talking about with the members of the group afterwards um, – one of the, the the warlock player who took the first blast against the other PC was like, oh, you know, I see this kind of stuff in games all the time. And I'm like, well, that's not the way I usually do my games and whatever. And he's like, yeah, but he's got these behaviors that are pro- that are very different styles of play from what the rest of us are doing. And like, I get that. And our last DM would like encourage it. Like he would, the last DM would like actively like goad this player into doing reckless things that would cause problems with the rest of the group. I'm like, well... Just know that that's not me, and I was actually working with him to tie his character more in so that he wouldn't be so reckless. Um, the good news is that we got a, a hard restart, right? So the new character so far doesn't have any of those problems and is intimately tied to what the, the characters are doing, and it isn't nearly as reckless. So so the guy who got killed was the one doing the reckless stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he didn't – did he seem to mind? He seemed okay with it, um, but okay. I also – like. He- He had his opportunity to crack the system and now he's happy? Well, I I don't know about that. I think he's just generally – just he's happy to play and he's happy to make characters, whatever. He's also the youngest and there's issues there and I don't want him to feel like, you know, um, other people are like piling on him um, because that's not fair to him as a person. Forget the game. Uh, And I don't want to kick somebody out because they have issues that they don't have any control over. 
Um, so, so we're trying to make it work. And so far, the new character, I, I mean, I spent probably hours with him that week helping him craft this character and this backstory because he he he's a, has a tendency to not craft any backstory like bare minimum right. just to justify making the 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 mechanical combination he wants uh and so mm-hmm. i took i so i worked a lot with him to sort of take that mechanical combination and oh oh let me ask you this question let me ask you that let's flesh this out a little bit Ooh, maybe we could do something like that right and uh so i probably wrote about half of it with him you know <laughs> so um, right. But I gotcha. feel I feel yeah. good about where he's at now, and I, I'm hopeful that it's going to be okay moving forward. We'll see what happens. Right. So. Anyway, that was 13 minutes, and I didn't even talk about Challenge of the Fang or getting into Curse of Strahd. Um, <laughs> after that, we ended up doing uh, Challenge. There was a time jump. There was like a, a, a three-month time jump, and we did a whole bunch of downtime. I was really busy on Discord that, that week because we did all the downtime stuff off camera outside of the session because I didn't want to sit there and just roll a bunch of dice to see how much money the tavern made or whatever uh, for an entire session. Uh, but we did a bunch of that stuff. Then they were uh, asked to go out and do uh, do some investigation of the Margrave. The, the druid character is the only person in the Emerald Enclave based out of Waterdeep that has had any success going into the Margrave and coming back. So they wanted right. him to go out and do some more exploration of the Margrave. He took the rest of the group. Uh, and that's when they we started Challenge of the Fang. Challenge of the Fang is an interesting uh, Cobalt Press, uh, Tales of the Old Margrave storyline that is very much like dark, gritty D&D version of Little Red Riding Hood. Sure. Right? And so... I think, yeah, some of the Margrave, one of the Margrave adventures is exactly that, isn't it? That is, that is the adventure, yes. Or it's like that, Goldilocks yeah. and the Three Bears or something? Well, I don't know about that, but this one is is specifically uh, Little, Little Red, Red Riding Hood, Riding and it's yeah. out of that it's out of that book. So, um, yep. so so yeah, so it starts off like, hey, this this injured horse runs up with, and there's a guy on its back that's died of old age, and he's got a gleaming silver axe, and I threw in some extra things just to make it more. There were some uh, wolf reaver dwarves that were running around because I combined a random encounter with the, the the opening encounter, and one of the characters that that hadn't had a lot of spotlight time, of course, is the first one to grab that axe, and if you are holding the axe during the actual challenge that only happens once every three generations, uh, which it is during that time, then you make a wisdom save or your geist to go on this challenge, right? So now all of a sudden, <laughs> right? So now all of a sudden, this character who hadn't had much spotlight time is geist and has a has a quest, and everybody else is like, "All right, cool. We don't mind like tromping around the forest and, and doing challenges and beating dwarves or beating uh, wolves because that's the whole thing. It's civilization versus the dwarves, and whoever wins the challenge every three generations uh, has primacy, has dominance in the in the Margrave uh, for the next three generations." Uh, and so they go through they, first they go through a giant forested hedge maze and you have to pass three challenges they completely failed one of the challenges because it's sort of like these these dryad characters uh, sort of trying to tempt them and whatever uh, and the trick is like you have to be respectful you have to spend time with them and talk to them but not too much time or, or else they waste a lot of your time or whatever uh, and the, the players did their normally very smart thing of like yeah no we're not going to talk to you we, we have a mission to do like thanks for the offer uh, but we're not going to hang out here. We got to keep going. It's like okay, but you know, you didn't know it, but that was one of the three challenges, and and you just didn't even participate. So, um, yeah. so, so depending on how many challenges they they succeed at, uh, de- that determines the timing of when they show up at at the old woman's uh, hut. Uh, the old woman sort of being the stand-in for grandmother, right? Um, the character who picked up and attuned to the the axe is, of course, the woodsman, uh, and they're going off to to rescue this this old farmer's daughter who they met in the tavern. Uh, her name is Servonia, um, and she's of course running around in a red cloak. Um, mm-hmm. And they get word eventually that there is, uh, you know, that the there is the would be king of the wolves running around, which is of course the big bad wolf. Um, who has the ability? It's basically a, a humanoid wolf car- creature that has the ability to swallow whole. And if it's got somebody in its belly, it has access to all of their spells. And so it swallows. The, it, the old woman's already been swallowed by the time they get there. Um, and, and and ultimately, like I did some things in there that were as interesting for the players. Like the the big bad wolf uh, ended up being 
vaguely reminiscent of something from one character's backstory. He remembered uh, he broke out of a in his pre-game backstory. He broke out of a prison uh, in the middle of a fog while there was carnage going on, and he saw one of the creatures that was in, involved in the carnage is sort of silhouette in the fog. And so I'm like, oh, well, this this creature looks like that silhouette that you saw. You know, is, is it the same one? Is it similar? Who knows? Um, but that was a thing, right? And then um, there's a point before they get to Grandmother's house where they they find the the Red Riding Hood's uh, campground and she's like and, and it's got like these little this ring of like creepy dolls sitting around it in a circle um, that just sort of because people use these dolls as proxy sacrifices to the forest and then the forest has like brought them all here and lined them up and I decided that since my Margrave has been attached to Barovia for most of time uh, I decided that of course some of those dolls are Blinksy dolls right from Curse of Strahd mm-hmm. uh, so I threw some of that in just so I could start you know, getting them used to the idea of, of creepy dolls that say, it's no fun, it's no blinksy. Uh, <laughs> those, those are so great. Right? Um, but ultimately, <laughs> at, the end of the, at the end of the day, I, I felt like we got to the end of that adventure and they defeated the big bad wolf and I felt like the end, I don't know, it felt, the end felt a little anticlimactic to me. Like they'd gone through all these challenges, they'd done all this stuff. And then you had a, a big wolf thing, uh, that survived like two, maybe three rounds, uh, in a small little spot. So it wasn't even much of a tactical map situation or, you know, the spells barely came up because it, it only had a couple of rounds to do anything. Um, so, so yeah, I felt like that, the, the conclusion was a little anticlimactic, but, um, we we still had some time at that point, so they and they had already received while they were in the inn before they went on to the challenges. They I'd used the hook for Curse of Strahd of of the one character coming in with a message for them. Here's a letter from the the burgomaster of Barovia. He needs your help, and and then he buys around for everybody and leaves. Uh, and they're like, you know, we got to start just killing anybody who decides to show up with a mysterious message because that never goes well for us, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not the messenger's fault, <laughs> right? I mean. Um, and it's, so, and so, Strahd, but, you know. yeah, and so, and, you know, so they finished up the the challenge of the Fang, and they immediately just took off straight along the path they needed to to get to Barovia, not realizing that I had actually, they had already switched to Barovia. The mist rolled through the previous night while they were in the inn, and I described the mist and that guy coming through, and uh, I even described like uh, the one warlock character is uh, uh, was a celestial warlock or whatever, angelic or whatever that that warlock build is, right? Um, and, and the patron is the same because it's also at the ASMR. So the patron is the same as the guardian angel sort of thing. And, uh, he has a flaw where he like hears voices and I've, you know, we've been playing it off as he hears her voice every now and then, but he's also recently been having one of the dark powers of Ravenloft sort of whispering in his head sometimes and tempting him. Uh, and, and, you know, so I described like, oh, well, as you go through the fog or as the fog rolls through that night, um, you have this conversation with the voice in your head because he doesn't even know he doesn't even know it's an angel. He just thinks it's a voice in his head. Uh, you know, so you had this conversation with the voice in your head, and she said, "Like you're going somewhere where I cannot follow. Uh, you know, make sure you 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 know stay true and whatever, right?" <laughs> uh, so so I laid all the groundwork that they were already in Barovia and just didn't know it. Right? They right. they think that the way you get to Barovia, like you can only get to Barovia through the Margrave, but then you could exit the same way. They don't realize that no, you, you and the Forest Hole have been just transported into this place. Um, but they're figuring that out now because I also moved uh, Trollskull Manor there, uh, and um, the publisher of the Waterdeep Wazoo was trans- was was in drinking that night and got transported as well, so I can keep publishing the weekly newsletter that they like getting. Uh, and, and so the last newsletter they got was like, oh, crap, what happened? We're suddenly in the forest. Where'd the city go? Ah, you know, so, so they're getting a, a hunch that something has happened, right? Um, so, yeah, so, so now they're in Barovia. They went through the big gates. They got into the town. Of course, like happens, the first place they went was the, the tavern. They met Ismark. Um, the paladin in the group is like, I got to go check out this church. They went up to the church. Uh, they re- they know that something's weird going on because the church has the the son in the basement screaming because he's he's a vampire spawn and hasn't eaten in a year. Um, 
but they sort of talked about it and 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 the paladin's trying to oh but we can we can all rise up and team up together and it's like yeah no we don't have any faith that that'll work and i i actually played it out that the paladin's mother was actually in barovia and has died um her spirit, of course, couldn't leave because souls can't leave, but her soul has now joined with his magical weapon, which I've planned on on like sort of growing the way you talked about having a weapon grow with him. This weapon is going to grow with him and turn into the Sun Sword uh, from Curse of Strahd. But it has his mother's, it's his mother's blade originally, and, and her soul is, is trapped in it. She was a, an ASMR um, follower of, of Lathander, right? Um, so it all sort of makes sense. But they just sort of abandoned the the son and the and the the vampire spawned son in the basement and and went followed Ismark back to the to the manor uh, to the mansion whatever and that's where we stopped right they haven't gone in they haven't met Arena or any of that so um, so that's sort of where we left off right we just got right into the beginning of Barovia I think they're really hooked into Barovia they all I've laid in all these ties to Curse of Strahd with them earlier on in the campaign and so they all immediately showed up and said hey have you heard of any like temples because one of them is specifically looking for the Ember Temple and uh, where, where are the holy places in this in this land you know so they're all asking these questions very pointedly about their specific goals uh, and so it's so far it's going pretty well um, the only question I had to ask was going to be about player versus player PC versus PC stuff and uh, we already sort of talked that up a lot, and I'm, uh, I imagine, significantly over time. So, by the time it went off a while ago. <laughs> and I know uh, Mike's got to get going pretty soon anyway. So, uh, I think that's where I wrap up. Unless you all have questions. No, it's interesting. So, I, w- I ran a Margrave game. So, I, I, I have a sort of irregular Margrave game. I think the last time we played was Halloween. And then, <laughs> and then we just got into it again, and everyone's like, man. And I talked, I had this wonderful, like, who wants to tell about the last game? And they're all like, and I go, the forest <laughs> of Margrave has stolen the memories out of yeah. your mind. <laughs> you, know, you don't even remember where you were. Perfect. And uh, I read through the adventures and I remember reading the Little Red Riding Hood adventure. And I'm like, man, I don't want to run that. <laughs> oh. I was like, you know what? I'm doing my own and it's going to be Seven Samurai, my, see, my new go-to. See, I read that and I'm like, oh, that is easily like my favorite one. And then I was kind of disappointed that, that it ended on such an anticlimax. But Fairy tales, you know, come on. So, <laughs> Well, I, and I was curious, like, how yeah. long is it going to take them to figure out what's going on? Yeah. But as soon as the one character grabbed the axe and got the geas, like, he also got visions. And I described yeah. a, a young girl in a red cloak, and they had just fought a bunch of a bunch of wolves. And they're like, wait a minute. And like, oh, well, that took, like, three seconds. You know? <laughs> so. it was, yeah, I ran undead shadow uh, undead shadow fae who were attacking a village that had thwarted them many years earlier and they had to figure out how to defend the, the town fir- i ran the first adventure in there as well and that went really well the, yeah uh, i really like the first one i love that head hunting crazy man i did the fi- i did the yeah. fingers of dorinde that's not really an adventure it's a location but i used that once and that went pretty well too so all right Nothing else? Sam, you've been quiet. You got anything to say? Or are you just busy t- talking to people in the chat? Yeah, I had my microphone off because I was typing to people in the chat, so we've been <laughs> having a good conversation there. Nice. Well, I would go to some chat room uh, questions, but we're already over an hour, and I know people have yeah. places to go. So uh, so I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. So uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet at the Tome Show. I am I am personally at Squatch. It's all on the screen for those of you watching the video or the, the stream. Uh, Mike is at Sly Flourish. Sam is at DM Samuel. Uh, Mike has a Kickstarter coming out uh, in a month or so. Do you want to talk about that real quick before we go? Nope. No? <laughs> I'm giving you a chance to promote. <laughs> Keep watching the feed. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike has a Kickstarter coming out in about a I month. I do. Yes, keep, I keep, have a Kickstarter coming out soon. Keep being watching a, the being feed. a couple of good good folk. That's right. So so keep an eye out for that. Go. It's going to be fantastic. I think I've backed every Kickstarter you've done, and I haven't been disappointed good. yet. So. Yeah. yeah, you'll like this one. All right, perfect. All right, well, then I think uh, we're going to call it good then. Uh, so say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.